Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Anne Eliza Young, the 19th wife of Brigham Young, was an early leader in the struggle for women's rights. In this edition of Radio Curious, we visit her story as told by David Ebershoff, author of The 19th Wife. Anne Eliza Young and her flight from the Mormon Church formed a quest to let the world know her belief that marriage should only pertain to two people instead of one man and a plethora of wives referred to as sister wives. We discuss what marriage is, how religion plays a large role in many people's lives, and how Anna Eliza's quest affected her world and our world today. The conversation began with David Ebershoff explaining why Anne Eliza wanted to apostate or leave the Mormon church without approval. The first thing I'd like to say about Anne Eliza Young, um, and she was one of Brigham's many wives, as you say, is it's, it's worth pointing out that she was born um, into a very faithful family. Her parents were early converts to the Mormon Church. They were very devout. Her father had five wives, and that was the household that Analyza grew up in. So this is what she knew, and it was what she believed. It's what her parents believed. And she did not meet a non-Mormon until just before she left the Mormon Church in 1873. And so with that context, we can sort of understand how dramatic a move it was for her to have been Brigham's wife. She was married to Brigham for five years, and then to decide that her marriage really wasn't a marriage. And and with the doubts that began to form about her relationship with her husband, Brigham Young, then she began to have a whole other set of doubts, which included doubts about um, her church, which her husband led, doubts about her faith, and doubts about everything she knew. And so she uh, left the church um, and left Brigham and then went out um, on a crusade to tell Americans about her experiences being a plural wife and really um, to try to end polygamy in the United States. Well, let's talk about um, a number of things that you just said. Yeah. A marriage that really wasn't a marriage. What was her concept of marriage? Well, you know, it's it was a, a sort of a, a fluid notion. Be, uh, one, she um, her father took a second wife when she was an infant, so she grew up in a household with two wives. When she was about 12, um, very impressionable age, um, her father, in a fit of what we, we might call today of a midlife crisis, he married three more wives in the period of four weeks. So he went from two wives to five in just one month, and young Analyza at the age of 12, witnessed that. And so she saw the definition of marriage evolved in her own household. She also always knew Brigham as the leader of her church, uh, the political leader of the territory of Utah, and saw his household um, evolve and also be somewhat undefinable. So she never had a firm sense of what marriage was. But over the course of her marriage to Brigham, which lasted five years, she began to um, have a sense of what marriage wasn't. And through that sort of negative, she began to sense what a marriage might be. Can Um, you explain the two perspectives uh, as you understand her point of view? um, Can you, what do you mean by the two perspectives? Well, what Uh, a marriage wasn't and what a marriage should be. Right. 
what she began to see was that the marriage that she did not have, um, that's what she began to recognize first, which is that she was not anyone special to her husband. Her husband had divided his attention, affection, uh, financial resources among a lot of people, a lot of wives and a lot of children. And she began to recognize that that isn't a marriage. Um, she began to find herself having to make excuses to her young sons about why Brigham was not present and what her relationship was was to him, and she began to recognize that that's not a marriage. And she ultimately re- realized that her husband didn't love her in any sense that she thought should be in a marriage. Um, and so with that sort of negative understanding of what she did not have, she began to realize that, oh, a marriage is a commitment between two people who have chosen to be together and who share very much um, almost all of their lives in terms of time together, affection, finances, and uh, sharing aspirations, sharing faith, um, sharing goals. These are we're that taking that interpretation that you're giving us now is uh, modern-day Western culture uh, interpretation of marriage, whereas uh, this was uh, 135, 140 years ago in a culture that removed itself to a desert in central Utah and in, under fairly harsh circumstances right. where the culture was polygamy. Yes, the culture was polygamy. But so when you draw this distinction between the culture in Utah at the time and the culture of the Mormon society with a woman who was born into a polygamous family, mm-hmm. um, what was her source of interpretation of the marriage as you describe it? Yeah, you know, it, it, one of the really defining moments in Utah history was 1869 when the trans continental railroad was completed and it actually was completed in utah not too far from salt lake city and that really connected utah to the rest of the country so that by the early 1870s which is at toward the end of analyzes marriage to brigham uh... there was an influx of non-mormons to utah people passing through to california as well as people coming into utah for various purposes there was a lot of mining going on and other business ventures that brought um, a new set of of immigrants to utah who were not coming for spiritual reasons and there's a point at the very end of analyzes marriage to brigham where she's living in a house that Brigham has given her, but she has no other financial resources. Um, She doesn't have any income, and she has to take in boarders into her house um, in order to basically pay for her household. And she had to ask Brigham for approval if if she could do this, and he said yes. And because of this shifting population in the early 1870s in Utah, because of the railroad, it turned out that all the boarders she took in were non-Mormons. And these were were the first non-Mormons she met. She's in her um, early 20s, and this is the first time she encountered them. And she began to hear other interpretations of what marriage could be. And one of the people that she met in this in, through her borders, um, and then friends of her borders, was a married couple. And she saw the amount of respect that um, existed in that marriage, both the, the man respecting the woman and, and vice versa. And this was a revelation to her. Um, and she began to sense that 
perhaps this was a definition of marriage that that really appealed to her and that spoke truthfully to her. Do we know, or do you know, how this may have been related to her sister-wives, this revelation? Well, you mean Brigham's other wives? Yes. Um, she did never really bonded with any of the other sister-wives. Brigham had uh, two two main residences in, in Salt Lake City, um, the Beehive House, which was his primary residence and office, and across the courtyard from that, so part of a compound, was a house called the Lion House. And both of these houses are now historical museums that can be visited. And the Lion House is where some of Brigham's wives lived, not all of them, but some of them. And Annaliza never... Uh, she lived there briefly before she married Brigham, but she never lived there as one of his wives, and she never wanted to. In that household, Annaliza saw uh, different kinds of relationships among the sister wives. She saw uh, rivalry, uh, jealousy, pettiness, cattiness, but she also saw companionship, uh, friendship, intimate relationships between sister wives who were not spending a lot of time with her husband and therefore turned to each other just for cl- close personal friendship. And yet, although she saw sort of the positives of the sister-wife relationships and the negatives, it didn't appeal to her at all because she was forming a sense that the primary relationship of a marriage is between your, a woman and the husband, not between two of the husband's wives. That may define the answer to where she is in the group of at least 19 women who are mm-hmm. all married to the same man. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a 19th wife? Um, one of the most interesting things about that very question, and that was really one of the first questions that struck me about the story of Annalisa Young, the 19th wife, was that very question, what would that mean to you on an intimate emotional sense. And and one of the things that I wanted to identify was just to figure out how many wives Brigham actually had. Um, and although we call Annalisa the, the 19th wife, and Brigham referred to her as his 19th wife, and she called herself the 19th wife, she wasn't his 19th wife. He had at at least 27 wives and upwards of 50-something wives. But the important thing is that we cannot say with any certainty how many wives he had. Some people say, oh, we know he had 27, oh, we know he had 56. But the, but the, the truth is we cannot say that with certainty. There's no final case-closed number. And that very, that very fact, or, or maybe lack, lack of fact, I, found, I thought about a lot. And I thought, you know, that must be a very uncertain feeling to be a wife and not even know where you fall in the order, not even know what your number is, and to hear different numbers about yourself and to hear your number shifting. One of the reasons the numbers moved around a lot, there's different reasons. One of them is that Brigham married some older women who were widows, uh, who really didn't have um, anyone to take care of them, and he married them brought them into his household, gave them a place to live, um, people to take care of them, fed them. And, and these women were not wives in a conjugal sense, but, but he did marry them, and they were called his wives. 
but they were more like ants or something like that. So there, there are a set of women who, who are part of those numbers who Brigham was never intimate with, and we know that, and that's an important distinction. Um, well, David Ebershoff, uh, yeah. author of The 19th Wife, a novel about the many wives of Brigham Young, what is the Mormon theology behind polygamy? Joseph Smith, who is the founder of the LDS Church, and its first prophet, um, received a set of revelations from God uh, that he told his followers were word of God about uh, how to live, um, how to be a good Latter-day Saint, uh, what to aspire to, and how to um, reach salvation. And this was um, many dozen um, revelations on many aspects of living and being a good person. Um, Many of them would be familiar to uh, anyone familiar with Christian faith, um, in terms of goodness. Um, but one of these revelations um, that he received, that Joseph Smith uh, told his followers he received from God, was on the subject of plural marriage, or celestial marriage is what, what it was called. And he was told by God, Joseph Smith said this, that um, in order to be a good Latter-day Saint, in order to achieve salvation, uh, one should try to participate in plural marriage. It was not required, um, and many people didn't. Many Latter Day Saints did not participate in it. But the um, it was set up for the Mormon community early on that if you could, if you had the financial resources, if you had the ability to expand your household, you should. And all the um, founders of the Mormon Church and the leaders of the Mormon Church did, and so that was sort of the the they were the role models, and 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 it was set up as an ideal. Um, and that was um, central to early Mormon theology. This changed dramatically in 1890 when the uh, leader of the Mormon Church at that time um, received a, another revelation from God, which uh, told him to tell Latter-day Saints that they should no longer practice polygamy. And since 1890, the Mormon Church has been very consistent on that. Except Uh, for some colonies in southern Utah and northern Arizona that you visited in preparation and in research for this book. That's right. But those colonies are breakaway sects. Um, They broke away from the Mormon Church decades ago over the issue of polygamy. They are not recognized by the Mormon Church in Salt Lake City, uh, although um, they, the foundations of their faith uh, began where the foundations of the Mormon Church faith began, uh, they're very far away today. And, and so the, the novel that I wrote, The Nineteenth Wife, has two stories going through it. And the, f- the first, as we discussed, is about Analyza Young, Brigham Young's Nineteenth Wife. And the second narrative in the book is um, about a young man who grew up in a polygamous community uh, set in present-day southern Utah. Um, And this community um, is not a community of Mormons. They are a community of polygamists whose ancestors broke away from the Mormon Church uh, more than 100 years ago over the issue of polygamy. When the Mormon Church um, changed its position on polygamy in 1890 and did so very, very vocally, uh, there were many polygamous Mormons at the time who disagreed with that um, change of, of theology and therefore broke off from their church over this matter. And so when this group is together, 
Mm-hmm. How do they define their religious affiliation as Mormon or some other form? But before you answer that question, I'd like to say that in this edition of Radio Curious, we're talking with David Ebershaw from his home in eastern Long Island, New York, about his recent novel, The Nineteenth Wife, a story of Annaliza Young, the wife or a wife of Brigham Young, who left Brigham Young and went about America in the 1870s to talk about polygamy and her story called Wife Number 19. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. So, David, the groups that are in southern Utah, northern Arizona, how do they define their religious affiliations? To them, they believe that they are the true Mormons, that they believe they're the true believers of the word and revelations of Joseph Smith, that they are, uh, that they believe what Joseph believed uh, more closely than the Mormon church does today. Um, That is what they would say. Uh, The Mormon church that most people think of, um, the, the church that's based in Salt Lake City, would fundamentally disagree with this what you might call the mainline Mormon church. Their positions on many things are very different, but that's how these fundamentalists, as they're often called, that's how they would describe themselves. So could you compare Annaliza Young's book that was published in 1908, Life in Mormon Bondage, mm-hmm. to the life of these communities uh, of which you speak in, in southern Utah and northern uh, Arizona? Yeah. Well, when I was researching the contemporary part of the novel, The Nineteenth Wife, um, I did interview some women who had been in plural marriages in the last decade, uh, and women who had left those marriages, and they told me about their experiences. And what was very interesting about their stories uh, and the interviews that I was doing was how similar they sounded to Annaliza's story. Annaliza, as you say, was very vocal about her experiences as a plural wife, as Brigham's plural wife. She wrote two memoirs. Uh, She became a very prominent lecturer on the national stage. Um, She spoke to Congress. She spoke to President Grant. So she left us a really robust record of what her experiences were like as a plural wife. And as I interviewed plural wives today, or former plural wives today, their stories of loneliness, of confusion, of disorientation, of self-doubt, of self-hatred, of disagreeable relations with the sister wives, of becoming somewhat angry at what was sort of happening to them and then becoming very, very doubtful about the faith that they knew, were very similar to what Annaliza said. And Annaliza was not the only plural wife from the 19th century who spoke out. We have other records, too. And the, in each case, whether it was a 19th century plural wife or a 21st century plural wife, the details are always different. But sort of the main themes and the main evolution that, the, or sort of the evolutionary arc that each woman progressed along as she moved from being very faithful to doubting the faith that she was raised in and that she was married into, these were very similar. And so that's one reason why I I found an emotional truth that just resonated across each source. Well, let's uh, talk about truth for a minute. Yeah. You characterize history and the, mm-hmm. the creation of history as being a subjective art. 
You say that a historians write a truth, the memorist writes a truth, the novelist writes a truth. I see it as a situation where the nonfiction writer is limited to the facts that are given. Mm-hmm. When the facts end, that's where the writer stops. Mm-hmm. But a novelist can expand on what those facts are. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps that's the subjectiveness that you speak of. Um, that is one of the subje- that's one of that's one of them absolutely. Um, and then the role, the reason the Nineteenth Wife is fiction, and in fact, it has a, it has actually many different narrators. Analyza being one of them, the young man from the polygamous community, Jordan being another of. But other people narrate the book. Analyza's father, who had five wives. Analyza's mother, who had to accept four other women into her house. Her brother, and even Brigham Young, narrates part of the book. And the reason I, did, I wrote it this way, and the reason that I wrote it as fiction, is that each gets to present his or her own version or interpretation or understanding of the story and of the very subject of polygamy and faith. Um, and each is slightly different. Some are close together and others are far apart. And with this material, um, with Analyza's life, um, and with the subject of polygamy, there are different versions of it. And I felt fiction could sort of accommodate these differences, especially when I pre- when when the novel is almost entirely in the first person. So you, the reader, understands that this is Analyza's version, and then we get to hear part of that in Brigham's voice. So we can hear a slightly or actually more than slightly different interpretation of it. And it's seen from the eyes of the speaker as, yes. uh, as opposed to a collective consciousness right, or unconsciousness, a, as right, it may as be. As opposed to an omniscient third-person narrator. One of the reasons why we as Americans remain interested in the subject of polygamy and, and Americans in the 19th century at the time of Analyze Young were very interested in the subject in the same way that we are today is because it's a very complicated question. It really goes straight to some very important questions that mean a lot to Americans. Those questions being, we as Americans believe in the right to believe what we believe. We we believe in others' rights uh, to believe. But polygamy really begins to ask, is there a limit to those rights? Um, is there a limit to how much we allow people to have, how much freedom, religious freedom we, we allow people to have? And if there is a limit, what is the limit and who gets to set that limit? And polygamy um, in the 19th century and today raises up that kind of question. How, how do you answer those? Who sets the limit and what is the limit? Well, this is where fiction is a very uh, wonderful form for questions like this because because fiction often doesn't answer a question. It raises the question and maybe raises it from, raises it from different points of view and maybe answers it from some points of view. But um, fiction lets the reader interpret and answer some of those questions. And that's why in The Nineteenth Wife I allow different narrators begin to answer that question from their points of view. But some of these answers within the book itself disagree with each other. 
because ultimately I wanted the book to let the reader think about all of this and maybe let the reader come to his or her own conclusions rather than my conclusions because it's very difficult to come to one single conclusion on this question. Well, David Ebershoff, author of The Nineteenth Wife, the story of Anne Eliza Young, who was married to Brigham Young. I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about an important concept that you've learned recently? Well, it comes out of the book, The Nineteenth Wife, and it comes out of just what we were just talking about, this this sense of um, the right to religious freedom. And since the publication of The Nineteenth Wife, um, I've been out touring in the Midwest, in the West, and at every event that I have been at, um, Latter-day Saints have come up to me and said, thank you so much for writing this book. This is the kind of story that I'm interested in. But that kind of openness to their own um, history and their own faith is very is a very interesting concept about what we believe as Americans. And it, I, I'm not so surprised by it, because when I was writing this book, I met many Latter-day Saints, especially in Utah, who helped me write this book, showing me to archives, showing me to documents, introducing me to people. So there was an openness in the process of writing it, but in the reception, seeing that openness, I've been very, very touched and moved by people willing openness to to sharing their own faith. So this is something that I think is so important to American values. Um, and I've seen it in action over the last many weeks. Did any of the people you met tell you about what really happened to Ann Eliza Young? No. Uh, it does remain a mystery of what happened to her. I could not solve that mystery. No one has told me anything conclusive about how she spent her final days or what her final fate was. And that also is one of the elements of the story. One of the metaphors of the book is the mysteries of faith. Why do we believe what we believe? Why do others believe what they believe? And I play with the metaphor of mystery throughout the book. The mysteries of faith. Yeah. What do you mean by that? You know, the, the definition of faith is believing what you cannot know, what you cannot see, or, or that is a definition, I should say. You're taking faith in something, that it's true. And so if you think of that definition, it has an inherent mystery. And it is mysterious to ponder why we believe certain things and, and the source of those beliefs. And it's, this, it's also mysterious when you think about what other people believe and, and why they do so. And at some point, there's a gap between what we know and then faith. And that gap is the mystery of faith. And finally, can you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately? Yeah, a book that I've read that I really admire and sort of picks up on some of the themes that we're talking about today is American Wife by Curtis Sittenfeld, which is a novel that comes out next week. And it is a novel about a woman whose life is very much like the life of Laura Bush. And what I admire about this book is how seriously it penetrates this character. I think it's just a wonderful portrait of a woman that is fascinating to Americans, although it's a fictional portrait. We don't know what's true and what's not true because we, we don't know. But the book itself feels so truthful that 
I believe it in terms of I believe that this is what this character would be. And I think it's just a really important book. And I think it also shows how valid fiction can be. This is one of the roles of fiction is to, as you were just saying, is to penetrate those areas where the facts stop. And that's exactly what Curtis has done in her novel, American Wife. And I really, really recommend it. David Ebershaw, thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Barry, thank you so much. David Ebershoff is the author of The 19th Wife. The book he recommends is American Wife, a novel by Curtis Sittenfeld. Radio Curious has over 500 archive editions on our website, radiocurious.org, with new programs published weekly. You may stream, download, subscribe to our podcast service, and share them as you wish. They're all free. We appreciate your thoughts, ideas, and comments about our programs and enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The phone is 707-462-6541. And the address is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, U-K-I-A-H, California. Nine five four eight two. Christina Onestead is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>